When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Bleacher Connection, your source for all things sports and entertainment. As always, you can find us on social media. Trevor is at the BleacherCon 1, and I'm at the BleacherCon 2. And as we've discussed over the past few episodes here, uh, we've got another special guest with us today from the CFL. Trevor, why don't you let everyone know who's with us? Yeah, you bet, Ken. Uh, Joining the Bleacher Connection today is former Eastern Washington Eagle, 2018 West Division and 2018 CFL All-Star, Current quarterback of the British Columbia Lions in the Canadian Football League, TJ Lee. Welcome to the Bleacher Connection, TJ. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, definitely glad. Appreciate the time you're, today you're giving us. So uh, just want to check everyone staying safe in your family and doing well through this whole crazy time that we're living. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we're living in the, the Lee bubble, you know, um, I am so overprotective of my family. So, I mean, it's important to make sure we're safe and doing whatever possible, you know. Um, uh, I've sent the best regards to everybody going through issues and at this tough time of the year. Um, I mean, I just hope that everybody stays healthy. Uh, but most for the most part, my family's healthy. We're doing great. That's good. It's good to hear. So I guess we're going to get right into things here, TJ. Right off the bat, what drove you to, to football over all the other sports? And were you a multi-sport athlete kind of growing up? Any other sports that you like to play? Uh, man, football has shaped my identity. Um, I grew up with uh, a lot of siblings, a lot of brothers and cousins. Uh, people couldn't tell the difference between my brothers and cousins because we're always together. And I'm the youngest in the generation. So uh, I've always been like, football is the closest thing to like wrestling or, you know, being active and, you know, being picked on. So I've always like was picked on by my brothers and cousins. And I come to my mom crying and she's always been like, well, if you cry, you can't go back out there, you know? And so I had to suck it up. And so basically the toughness through that correlated well with football. And um, so I was playing against kids my age and I was big. I was bigger than everybody else. You know, they went by weight back then. So like I had to play with uh, kids two two years older than me because I was bigger, and sometimes I had to cut weight to play with kids my actual age, and it was crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started out at uh, what I was a DN, uh, still killed it, you know. Um, and then the second year I played running back because I was big, you know, um, for the age, and so I was just running through trampling people, boom boom, and that's how I got my football identity. Everybody just like, oh, that kid's good at football, and so like people shaped that for me, you know, like you're the good football player, you know? Um, and so year after year, I was a running back through pop Warner and it was just like, it, it just shaped who I was, but I also played basketball. Um, not too many other sports outside of that. My big brother, he played basketball and he's five years older. So um, I basically looked up to him and did everything he did. So it sounded like you started kind of on the offensive side of the ball. When did you move to the defensive side? 
uh, college, actually. I was recruited to Eastern Washington as a running back. Um, and I played uh, <clears throat> I played DB as well. Um, and apparently they were just like, oh, I had Taiwan Jones in front of me at Eastern Washington. Um, and it didn't look like I, I was going to be taking that spot, honestly. Uh, he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen in person. Uh, very unorthodox style, but very fast. Um, so when I went to Eastern, I converted from running back to slot receiver. I didn't like it on my knees. And I mean, it takes a while to transition too, especially in a big scene, you know, like a college scene, you know, to the, to the young eyes, you know? Um, and then I just went to a DB and I found it very, very challenging. It was a challenge that I, I could accept that fat, that fit who I am, you know? Hey, so growing up playing high school sports in the U S and in college, it comes it seems very different than what our experience here is in Canada because for us it's not as big so what was it like play, kind of playing on a sometimes what seems as a bigger scale through high school and into college and did that help when you turned pro um you know I wouldn't I wouldn't say because I went to a smaller school you know I went to a my high school was a baseball school but we like me and my friends uh we played football together since the age of seven so like we were like this mega team for our school you know this football talent that was just coming through once in a lifetime you know and so we went to the state you know and we got that exposure but we weren't really good and we all split apart so i mean i would say the stage hasn't really been that big until going to eastern washington and playing like u-dub so you're playing like your big brother school you know or you're playing wazoo and we like be winning and we have like good quarterbacks like Bo Levi. We have good quarterbacks like Vernon Adams um, and, and other quarterbacks, uh, Matt Nichols, one that came before me. And we give those teams such a run for their money and they'll win by like four, five points, you know? Um, and it, it's that stage made it easier, um, but you can really feel it. Like you can feel the crowd in your legs if you're not used to it, you know, like for the first times. So um, I think the repetition or, you know, having to get that opportunity definitely made it better for me to adjust at the pro level. So growing up in the Seattle area, did you have much exposure to the Canadian Football League prior to joining the league? And when did you actually see it as an option? And, and how did that process of kind of recruitment, I guess, go in coming to the, the Canadian Football League? Yeah, funny story. No, I did not know anything about the CFL. Um, I knew, like, people, it's funny. Um, I had a coach, and I don't know if he ever heard me. Like, I'm very, this is this is deep. All right. <laughs> I don't know if he ever, like, heard me hear him say this. But you know how coaches talk on the side about the type of talent that they have. And he was talking about TJ, which is me. And he was just like, oh, his top end is just CFL talent. He's just CFL talent. And so I heard that. And I always remembered it and it always made me grind and it always, um, it always drove me, but I didn't know what the CFL was when I heard it. So, and it was just, you know, a thing, but, um, yeah, I didn't know much about it. I uh, finished, uh, with Eastern, got the opportunity to try out for the team and coach Tory Hunter. He was my coach at Eastern Washington at the time. He was a recruiting guy at Edmonton recruiting coordinator at Edmonton. So it was very connection based. 
Um, and he was like, get in touch with Ryan Rigmaiden. Ryan Rigmaiden went to Eastern Washington and he was the recruiting coordinator for BC at the time. And he was like, hey, I need you to come try out, man. Um, come try out for the team or whatever to play football. Um, and I'm like, sure. He's like, I need you here tomorrow. I'm like, sure. So <laughs> basically we drove from Spokane to Seattle um, through the night, me and my wife. Um, and I tried out and it, it was like $100 for a tryout. <laughs> and he's like, we'll give you back the $100. Um, they gave me back the $100 just because they requested me to try out. And I ended up making a team and getting, I had to get a passport the next day, like expedited, the fastest I ever got a passport. And or anybody's ever got a passport. And next thing you know, I was in Canada. And that was an interesting journey. Um, we talk about adjusting and as a rookie, um, yeah, to the CFL and stuff. So when you came to the CFL and when you started playing, was it difficult adjusting to the rules? Because I, I spoke to the, with Derek Dennis not too long ago, and he was saying for himself on the offensive line and others that he had seen either come from Canada to play in the U.S., college or in the NFL, the rule change, it was a bit of a stumbling block for some. So was it easier for you as a DB as opposed to maybe someone who's on the offensive line? Yeah, um, it was easier for me. For a simple fact that if you can't adjust, then you're out of there. You know, it doesn't matter. Nobody has sympathy. You can have all the talent in the world, you know. As a DB, you know, you really can't be a victim, you know. Um, and so when it comes to me getting that opportunity, like my first few days in camp, like the veterans came and next thing you know, they started taking all the reps, you know. And it's like, I better get in, you know. I better steal a rep or two. And if I do get a rep, I got to make the most of it. So the learning curve is just something that you have to go as, you know, just adjust to and make it, make it a norm. Because if you become a victim to it, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna advance the way that you should, you know, to keep you around. Did any of those veterans kind of take you under their wing and, and help you out with that? Or is, was it very competitive? Man, absolutely. Um, it was very competitive, but I mean, I wouldn't be where I am now in terms of my status in the CFL without those veterans. Um, I came into a stacked BC team, you know, um, in terms of veterans and leadership. You had Big O, um, Javon Oliafoye, the offensive lineman. You had uh, Steph Logan, um, the running back, you know. We had uh, just in this leadership, you know, like Marsh at the DB position and Ryan Phillips, and then you had Court Parks. He had just came off a major year. And I was backing up Court Parks. And the first like three days was very weird, you know, just like at lunch, sitting at the table. And, you know, like nobody really sitting next to me, nobody knowing me. And then next thing you know, I remember Court Parks coming over, you know, um, hey man, what's up, man? You can't sit by yourself, you know, you can't, you can't grow, you know, how you gonna make the team better just sitting by yourself or, you know, like I'm Court, you know, this is how you do this. You need anything, let me know. And he gave me that initial orientation um, and, RP, he went to Eastern Washington as well, about eight to 10 years before me. He extended the Olive Branch, but I didn't want to like follow him so much. You know what I mean? I didn't want to cling on to him so soon because we went to Eastern and we're both from Seattle and, you know, and he was a veteran. So he had a status to maintain. So, I mean, it was, it was tough to adjust, um, but because I soaked it up and I sponged that opportunity. And when I got the opportunity, um, ended up being great for me. Um, and I barely made the team, 
Um, it was um, BMAC, Brandon, Brandon McDonald. He played like six years in the NFL, seven years in the NFL, and he came to BC and he was backing up uh, Court Parks at the time. And he was just like full of himself, like, I'm not backing up Court Parks. I'm going to leave. And he left one day before the preseason game. And that gave me the opportunity to play and ended up with three interceptions and made the team. And it was like, one was called back, went with two interceptions and made the team. You know, I'm like, and before that, before that night, I remember talking to my girl, I'm like, babe, you know, like, this is not going to work. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, you know, and boom, all I needed was that opportunity and I seized it. Um, my first pick happened to be against Bowley by Mitchell. I don't know if he gave it to me or not, you know. <laughs> but, he had to have. He, he knew yeah. your situation. Right. <laughs> I, I forgot to mention, I apologize. Trevor is a Calgary Stampeders fan. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> I was trying to keep that under wraps. I didn't want to, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And both of me, my first pick. So it just really made me feel like I belong. You know, it came back full circle, you know. On a personal level, how was the transition in life in living in Canada compared to in Washington? You know, I'm not the best at adjusting to things. Um, and I, I am very happy and grateful that I was able to stay by Washington, you know, for playing for BC. Uh, my first year, uh, I lived in Surrey, right by the facility. Uh, Surrey is not the best, you know, environment, honestly, you know, practice environment and stuff. Um, we do have a lot of good fans that come out to our practice and, you know, show love, but it was tough to adjust, you know, bringing my, my wife with me. We didn't have kids at the time and we lived at a, and we weren't making a lot. Um, <clears throat> and so, and I was on the practice roster for about nine games, you know? Um, so that was interesting. It, it was tough to adjust. Milk was a lot. Milk was expensive. You had a lot of small things, you know, my phone bill, uh, the first 15 days in camp, uh, I didn't have anybody to talk to really. I felt really alone out there up until court started reaching out and then, you know, I started playing and guys started loving you. Then you feel closer, you feel more welcome. But before that, I was just talking to my girl, calling my girl, crying, you know, just like whatever, you know, you want to feel love back, you know? Um, but yeah, that was, <clears throat> it was tough to adjust to. My phone bill was like $900 out of like 15 days because it was roaming and I didn't know and just like, so it was, it was a tough adjustment for me. Second year, uh, I lived in White Rock. Beautiful. 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 Yeah, very great. nice. Um, and then we, third year, moved to Bellingham. Um, just because I knew a lot about that place. And we were in Washington. I just commute. Now, um, what do we do now? Bellingham. Yeah, now I live in Blaine, uh, which is super close to the border. And I just commute every day. Um, and I find that best for me and my family because my wife is able to work as well. So they had like visas and stuff, like a visa situation where your partner couldn't work. So it's like, what is she doing here for six months, you know? And so we made it both work for us where she's able to work here and I'm able to just go up to the border back and forth. Well, I don't know good. how it's going to work now with everything going on. So. Yeah, actually, I know exactly where that your practice facility is, because I grew up in Surrey and I played I played baseball right across the street there. So mm -hmm. I know, yeah, exactly where that where that is. And I used to, you know, after games or whatever, playing baseball, I'd go across, watch the watch you got the Lions practice and such. So, yeah, it's uh, hopefully yeah, I, used they can to, get some... I used to love visiting Ken out there in Surrey because I'd always come in the summer when you guys were playing and I'd love to go down to the just 
the field down there and watch the practices. I, I just, I love that stuff. It's, you know, a chance to get right up close to the, the mm-hmm. athletes that we love. Like I'm, I'm as big a fan of the CFL as anyone and just seeing the guys and, and you see them around the city too, which is, right. which is awesome. But I just love that. So. I do like how he's connected to the sky train, you know, as far as like yeah. transportation goes. Um, I think that's very important for players to get around, especially with the, like the, just how easy it is to cut a player, you know, and a player not have to find his way or for players to get around that don't have cars coming from Florida or something, you know? Um, and so the, the, the community in Surrey, they get to see these players, you know, um, going back and forth, catching the sky train because they live in Burnaby or here or there. So I found that pretty cool. Or game days when you catch the sky train to the game and you see those BC Lion fans and they're just packed, you know, like the early yeah. fans, like on your way to the stadium and they know you. That's a good uh, experience too. Yeah, game days. I, I had seasons tickets for, it was three years. I live out in Edmonton now, but uh, I had seasons tickets and you just get on the sky train and you got everyone in their jerseys, hats, all their gear, and everyone's mm-hmm. just talking football on the way down. It uh, It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I find the CFL offers that other leagues don't, I think, is there's a little more camaraderie within the fan base and the players. And I think that's part of what makes the league special in the first place. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what quarterback and receiver combo do you really get up for the most? And yeah. What opposition receiver do you love to go to war against the most when you play them? Let me see. Um, let's start with your first question, opposition. Um, honestly, I, I, you better be up for anybody, you know, especially being able to play uh, like the weak half position where it's like you're guarding a money receiver, you know, um, and I take pride in that. So if I am studying them all week, you know, um, I'm finding reasons to to hate them, you know, Um or to break them in ways that they don't even think that there's a battle or, you know, like little small mental battles and, and stuff. So, I mean, um, that I get hyped for always Hamilton. Um, they got receiving court, you know, um, arguably the best, um, and banks within itself, you know, uh, he's a small character and he doesn't really, as far as it's tough to read his technical, errors because he's so small you know and so explosive so it looks like he's jogging a lot of the times you know and um I have most issues like with people that are my size because my advantage as a defensive back is my speed and instincts you know so when I go against somebody like Banks very small he'll lull you to sleep jogging you can't really watch his hips as much or you know like the next thing you know he's just out of there um so I'll give it to him um the ones I like working against, obviously, is Riley and Burnham um, because you get to do that so much. So they know you so well, you know. Um, so it's like a game every time, you know. It's a, it's a mental game every time in terms of Burnham having a plan when he lines up, you know, or me having a plan when I line up against Burnham, you know. Um, that's the most heated battle uh, I will ever have. But also, you know, um, I move around and receivers move around. So you also got Durant um, most recently and you got Shaq, you know. Um, so we got some pretty good receivers at BC. Um, what was your second question? I want to make sure I give you give you a little something more. What opposition receiver do you love to essentially go to war with when you play with them? And do, do you do a lot of a chirping with the, with the other receivers or are you a no, pretty quiet receiver. guy on the field? <laughs> Receivers, they talk a lot of shit. And, and I'm that, sure and they do. And, and, and that's great. And I hate I hate 
contradicting myself, you know, and I hate, you know, so I would hate to talk shit and you, you know, catch a ball, even luckily, you know, for a touchdown on me, you know, then that gives you the power or that at least makes you feel empowered by that, you know, but if I give you nothing and you get a lucky score, you're not, you're not as confident, you know, so my thing is, I love getting off the block, you know, I find when I watch film, I find DBs have the toughest time getting off a damn block. You know, and me being small, my center of gravity is low and I'm very instinctual. Um, so any receiver that wants it, they can get it, you know, in terms of talking <laughs> shit. Because if you're talking shit, you got to come and block me when there's a run play. You know, <laughs> in one of those plays, I'm going to sell out on you. Or if the ball's not coming to you and you're running an out route, you know, and the ball's not coming to you and you like kind of jog off, I'm gonna push your ass out of bounds because I'm behind you, you know, like don't step on my toes or something like as you're um, tra trailing you, you know, you can like our feet could get tangled. So I'm gonna push you or something, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, they have a lot of reasons to hate me for that. Um, but I mean, I'm going to be physical with anybody. Um, so the best challenges for me um, that I found over the years is Banks, uh, Kyron Moore, um, I, I think he's pretty dope. I like him. I like his style, but I like the shit talking, you know, like I grew up, like I grew up very, I grew up for this, you know, like in terms of my siblings and being bullied. So, and obviously going against people way bigger than me and opposing my will on them. Um, Eric Rogers, um, he, he's very difficult tall guy to read simply because he prances. It's like he, he steps over himself. Like in most receivers, <laughs> they run like this and he kind of like steps, like he runs like vertical. Um, lucky, um, lucky whitehead, uh, and the best of them in terms of like finishing at the end, uh, Ellison, Ellingson, he's good at finishing at the end. Um, he could run very, uh, Chris, right. Chris routes as well, but like, it's terms of like finishing. I mean, cause it's really all about the finish. I mean, to me, at least, um, it should be to any type of receiver, but in terms of like catching it, you know, and different, finding different ways to catch the ball. So, I mean. Those are the best challenges for me, um, but I'm really excited about anybody that I go against because they gotta they gotta rest. If it's a QB sneak, they gotta crunch in and rest, and I'm coming right at your shoulder. You know, I'm coming right at your you know. Or if you got the ball, I'm coming right at your legs. You better jump. And if you're worried about your legs, you're not holding the ball right. All right, I'm coming straight at the ball. You know, like I'm just there's a lot of ways to be the receiver because because they talk a lot and they they're so long most of the time. They're they want to protect their legs. So that's not, they're not protecting the ball. <laughs> you mentioned Speedy B. Is he as fast as he looks on TV? Absolutely. Like that guy could just fly. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. But I like him. He's probably one of my most favorite receivers because he doesn't talk mess. And he's very humble about his success, you know, and he's having fun, you know. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm not really, you know, judging anybody by how, you know, they play the game, but in terms of what I like style-wise, I like that because you got to be humble, you know, and it's it's a game. Like, you're going to get scored on, you're going to fumble, you're going to, you know, so just stay persistent, you know, it's the persistence. You, uh, you mentioned Riley and Burnham. Just going up against those guys in practice all week long just help make your game that much better? Yeah. Going up I against two of the best? Absolutely. I mean, because Riley, I mean, he's going to throw some bombs up there, you know, and, and Burnham, he's going to catch it by any means necessary or at least try to. And then you also have this practice tempo where it's like, 
your receivers are obviously more important, you know, um, as a DB. Whoa, it's it's a sin if you let fall on a receiver or deflect the ball hard enough and a receipt you fall on top of a receiver and he falls and rolls a few times. Uh, because receivers are, you know, they're you know, they're different type of creatures, you know, in terms of like showing their personality more on the field. Um, so you have to it teaches you how to play with control caution. Um, but also, I mean, at the level that I'm at, you know, I've been playing for eight years now, so I don't give a fuck. I'm going to go up <laughs> rather Burnham or anybody else. So I get to play hard, you know, as hard as I, I can with, with guys like that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a good challenge. Uh, they're a good duo. Um, but like I said, um, if Riley's not bombing it to Burnham, he's bombing it to Durant or he's bombing it to Shaq, you know? So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, there's a lot of weapons there. And now we've got Lucky, so it's going to be bombing it to Lucky. As a diehard Stampeders fan, I have to ask this. Does Brian Burnham actually drop the ball ever? Have you seen it? Because I don't think I've ever seen it. That guy is just amazing. In my opinion, the best receiver in the league. Yeah, I don't see Burnham dropping the ball. Nope. It's, and it's, it's amazing. He's a, he's, a, he's a mental warrior. Um, I think because catching the ball is mental. You know, once you do it so much, you know, and you play football, however long we've been playing football, it, it's a mental thing. It also is a practice, you know, um, if you practice, practice, you know, the, the habit, you know, uh, and Burnham has the mind for it, you know, to not drop a ball. He has that not drop a ball mentality. And I remember when we, because we, me and Burnham first came in together, um, he caught just toughest ball ever and got cracked so hard and like broke his sternum or something something weird like that in the beginning i think he was young he was a, he was a rookie and he like cracked his sternum and got hit so hard but he got the ball <laughs> and he was out in the beginning or whatever but yeah i think that we, showed me the character some most receivers move out the way if you know yeah we we talked about burnham a few weeks ago and i think we said his his range of catchable balls is about 10 yard 10 yards circle around him and about five yards above him because he just makes the catch somehow, some way he's bringing the ball in. Just amazing player. Yeah. So kind of going in a little bit of a different direction now, when the news broke about the CFL and the XFL having talks about a potential partnership, what was your initial thoughts on it? And in your opinion, what would a partnership with the XFL look like? Um, I mean, man, when, uh, Obviously, I'm a football fan uh, by any means. Um, I love football, and I know there's a lot of people out there that love football, no matter what, whether it's CFL, like uh, arena, uh, NFL, or anything. So when you have so many people, I know in the U.S. how much football is loved on all different scales. Um, and for the XFL to, yeah, their, their model apparently failed, you know, because of COVID, you know, Um but it was a great season and I loved the different ways that they sold the sport, you know, through fan player interaction, you know, in terms of like interviewing the uh, quarterback after he just threw two picks on the sideline, you know, or that, that stuff was major, you know, and that, and that's a market, you know, that type of market in the CFL, I believe is just <laughs> would be the best thing ever. Cause the player, I mean, people are more, I would say interactive in the CFL in terms of like, you know, talking to the players and wanting to know more about the players personally. Um, so when I heard that, I mean, The Rock is um, an owner, you know, um, 
and he with him comes a lot of I mean representation you know money representation honestly you know um, he has a lot of friends and um, he has a lot, you know, so the, the possibilities of where the league could go is endless, you know, um, in terms of how I thought about it. And, and I'm generally not negative about much, you know. Um, so, I mean, I don't like the gossip behind it all, you know, in terms of not knowing the facts and, you know, because eventually it's going to be what it is regardless, you know, and we're either going to have to choose to move forward. Um, and the business model is either going to grow or not. But apparently, I mean, obviously, nothing has been working on both business model schemes in, in terms of the CFL and the XFL. So a possible merger, I mean, with something so historic and something so new and innovative behind a face like The Rock. I mean, what what could go wrong? And especially with the whole CFL 2.0 model that we were doing in terms of getting international viewership as well. Yeah, and the, the, the ownership group behind the XFL with The Rock and Danny Garcia and, and uh, Redbird Capital, I mean, I've kind of taken the stance on I'm waiting to figure out till we hear more which way I, I'm going to go. But I like, think with the league, change is good. You have to change to be able to continue to grow and bring more people into it because you can't stay stagnant and let everyone pass you by. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big thing with it. And I know a lot of people are worried about rules and things like that, but I think you, as a league, regardless of whether what sport it is, basketball, baseball, hockey, every league has had change and you have to look at it to continue to grow your base. Right. And it's funny. I love the CFL's rules. You know, um, I feel like the CFL gives you the best chance to show your athletic ability in terms of like your athletic potential. Like um, as a defensive back, I feel like I could guard any receiver like NFL or CFL because of how fluid I am taught to move my hips and defend without touching the receiver. You know, um, because you can't, you can't grab. They had just changed the CFL rules when I first got here in terms of grabbing and touching the on five yards and impeding. And so you're, you're taught, you're taught, you're like, you're taught like to move your hips where it's like, you don't see that as much in NFL. I watch technique on a lot of people, you know, and yeah, they have the talent and the size, but the technique aspect of it, like with the CFL, you have to be able to guard without touching. You have to, so you have to move your feet. You know what I mean? Um, as far as like the 20 second play clock, that's, that's pure conditioning. 20 seconds in between plays. Do you know how much an NFL players or those NFL players that come here, how tough a problem they have in terms of the 20 second play clock from one play to the next, in terms of like getting another play, getting to play from the sideline, you know, just coming back from running a 50 yard fade bomb, you know, you have to get set and relay the, the play to your O line or, I mean, your D line or your linebacker or show the other DB that you have communicated that, you know, so just all the things that come into it. Um, and, and it's pure conditioning, um, three downs change change the change of direct so you go from offense to defense to special teams you got to pay attention the whole game um but if that doesn't sell in terms of the motto you know because football is played a certain way you know i mean popular football is played a certain way i mean and do you want to be popular or you want to be you know <laughs> so you got to adjust it's funny you mentioned the conditioning we 
we talked with uh, Danny Austin from the Calgary Herald last weekend, and he's friends with Alex Singleton. And Alex Singleton told him he was in the, be- the best shape of any of the players on that team in Philadelphia, strictly because of the rules and the field size. So I think that's really uh, neat that you mentioned that because we've heard that before. It's, it's crazy. No, yeah, I don't doubt it. Um, th- because I remember my first year coming into here, you know, um, I was obviously training to go to the NFL and um, I couldn't do my pro day because I was hurt, whatever, had a long season or whatever. Um, I-, I was hurt, couldn't run, couldn't do anything. But when that BC trial was a month later, I did that. So I went to camp and I'm just like swole. Like I'm 200, I'm 5'9", but I'm like 212. And I'm just like, I come in with all this body. And uh, Mark Washington was our coach at the time. Um, and yeah, I felt stiff and yeah, I made plays and stuff. But my nickname, the guys were calling me Chunky, you know, because I was just short and chunky because I was just stocky. You know? Hey, Chunky. So that was my first nickname by Core Parks and all those guys. They were just like, hey, Chunky, Chunky. You know, and so, and that's what I knew every off season. I knew at the root of it all, I barely be the most in shape guy. And so I think I've always been the most in shape guy on every team. And that's what's kept me around because I know what it takes in the CFL. Yeah. You mentioned that the 20 second play clock is something that I know I love as a rule in the, in the CFL. It just, it keeps the game going. And I don't know. I just find with the CFL, any game, like you have to watch till the very end and you know, make sure the guys are leaving the field that the game is actually over because it's just so back and forth and anything can happen. I think that's one of the big things for myself that I, why I love the league is it's just so exciting. Right. One of the best coaches I ever had, Mark Washington, uh, most detailed guy ever. Um, but uh, he's been in the CFL for a ton of years, you know, um, playing and coaching. Um, what he said, he used to always say the last two minutes of a CFL game, is the, the most important part of the game because of the sudden change of direction, the sudden urgency that teams have and the play clock, yep. you know, and it's like, wow. And so when I started seeing the real effects of that, like game after game, you know, it, it really just showed like how important and crazy and like swing, like how much of a swing the game can become in those last two minutes. Yeah, there's there's no taking a knee for the final two minutes in the CFL, no. and, and that to me that's what is awesome about it. It's to the bitter end. It's yeah. it's action. Yeah, fast action. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit on social media, some of the rumors and things like that, with the partnership talk blowing up on social media. What are your thoughts on social media in general as a professional athlete? Do you like it or? Do you try to stay away from it? Man, I'm very, I'm very old school, man. Um, and, and that sucks. It sucks because it's such a detriment in terms of my self-marketing, you know, um, and, and being an athlete. Um, but I don't do social media very much. I don't do it very well um, because I feel like it, I'm such a mental guy and I'm a mental health guy, mental health freak. You know, and mental health just got popular. So now I feel I feel great because mental health just got popular, you know, and I, it's something I've always focused on where people are like, oh, no, it's not. But so I feel like it keeps my mental my mental clarity of not being on social media because you start feeling I'd be a fool to say if I didn't post something and I get a lot of likes, I don't feel some sort of satisfaction, you know, um, and it, it could get taken out of hand, you know, especially when you have a platform as an athlete, you know, in terms of the different uh, distractions that come along with it, you know? Um, 
you know, the the girls, um, the fake, uh, the fake accounts, or you know, just a lot of different ways. You know, I remember it's been a lot of cases. A lot of people made a lot of fake accounts with my face on it, and a lot of pictures <laughs> in my life, and uh, yeah. So a lot of different troll situations. Um, a lot of people messaging my wife, like girls and stuff, like saying that I did this and I did that while I'm with her. And so, I mean, it's really takes, it could take you in a lot of different different ways, you know? Um, but it is, it is a platform in a lot of ways to inspire and connect with others, you know? Um, but it can be a place to hide your true self. Um, and I don't wanna lose that, you know, being such a mental health guy. It's, it can be such a negative place. And I know Ken and I trying to promote a podcast. We're actively engaged on social media and just the, the keyboard warriors, we call them, and the negativity around so many what should be positive talk, topics makes it hard to be an advocate for social media. But it, like you said, you do have a platform to use. It's you kind of have to use it. It's kind of like, take the good with the bad, but man, the bad can be really bad sometimes. And we struggle with that too. Yeah. yeah. There, there've been people on social media saying that they'd rather see the CFL fold than merge with the XFL. What's your thoughts? Like, I think that's crazy. Football of any kind in Canada is needed, but. Right. I, I think it's very impulsive, um, you know, uh, super impulsive for the reasons why they don't think about the, the greater impact the CFL has on the country of Canada. Um, yeah, I don't live in Canada, but when I'm there or when I'm working or when I'm doing community service, you know, um, I really do it with my heart, you know? Um, and that translates, even if it translates to one kid, changing the way one kid thinks about his life or you know, um, I remember going and talking to kids at school about choices, you know, um, and different things, how your choices can change, you know, the direction of your life and stuff. So, I mean, in these different communities that don't have a lot of funding um, in in these cities, you know, like uh, Hamilton, I know you've been to Hamilton, you know, and just how it looks grungy, Surrey, some places it look, you know, some places look grungy, you know, outside of the big town, you know, outside of the big buildings and stuff, it looks grungy. So, when you talk about the groundwork that these players go living there, playing there, you know, and representing those towns and the work that they put into those communities and those schools and the, you know, I think that has the biggest impact, you know, um, on the world, you know? So that's how most athletes use their platforms, you know, um, from the CFL. And that's what I've learned, you know? You mentioned that you're, uh, really big into mental health and sounds like you're a bit of an advocate of it. What are some things that you do to help spread that word? Cause I think that's just a tremendous initiative. Um, uh, one thing I do, I say, I never take credit for myself. Um, because I'm, I know I'm mentally strong because my mom made me to be mentally strong. So I always thank her, you know, and, and ways that she struggled with, you know, mental health, you know, and how she struggled with it, you know, way she struggled with it is church, you know, and God, I'm not the most religious person, but I know when I get out of touch, you know, I know how my foundation was built. And that's how I could maybe like, kind of reconnect to kind of be more mentally stable. Um, I like to write. Um, I love music. Um, 
you know, taking a second and, and gratitude and appreciation, you know, so it's really about what you're thinking about, you know, um, and you also, you are what you do, you know, so um, you really don't have to, I think people, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not anything, anybody, you know, to give any advice first off, <laughs> but I think it's simple. It's more simple than people can, you know, you just, it, it's a, come from a position of gratitude, you know, and having gratitude and appreciation for the things that you have. Um, yeah, so that's that's my whole mental health spill, which is why I don't feel like a mental health advocate because I feel like a hypocrite teaching somebody something that I have to work on every day. You know, that's a everyday job, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned that you like music. If a fan was to open TJ Lee's Spotify account, what would he find? I have a, a lot of range. They will find a lot of range. Um, I grew up in Texas, uh, Houston, Texas. I was born in Houston, Texas. Um, we like Southern music. Um, Zotico, um, it's just a different term, music down South of uh, the blues. Um, uh, what, to country music? Uh, Cause my mom, you know, we grew up in Texas with country folks at the heart of it. Um, and what, rap, R&B. I'm very R&B guy. R&B translated to country music um what um gospel so i mean there's there's a lot of range there um because i gotta work out too so i need i need my rap and i need my my kendrick lamars and you know i need to get heady because i'm a mental guy so um uh, so yeah that's what you will stumble into it's about i would ask you well what's your mood and you know if you want to go into my library what's your mood you know maybe we could find something out figure something out <laughs> so do you do you have a like a game day routine does it include music or is, or do you just oh. go and get like quiet yeah. and get ready uh well my wife uh we gotta we gotta be ready um i gotta be the first person to the stadium because i gotta be the first to touch the fruit i gotta be the first to touch everything so when everybody else is coming in i gotta be out of the way so that they're out of my way in terms of like the routine you know gotta have already have my my massage at the massage table or whatever um but in terms of so leaving the house my family has to be there early and my wife has to be there just walking around if she wants to ride with me she can do what she wants but she wants to ride with me you know <laughs> and we gotta listen to some music a certain set of music we'll start out slow you know and then we'll speed it up around game time um and when i put my headphones in that's basically little wayne uh the underground little wayne where he's just Man, very lyrical. He's a lyrical nightmare, lyrical genius. Um, and then you got Ace Hood. He's just very like, I'm gonna go get mine. I'm gonna go get what's mine, you know, um, type of mentality. And yeah, and once I once I go there, there's no going back. And I feel invincible and unstoppable because I put in the work. So the confidence is behind it. And I, I think that's big behind a lot of confidence, players playing confident. I feel like that's my edge because I know because I put in the work in the off season and I do everything possible that there's no way that this person, the opposition receiver or whatever, there's no way that they can stop me. There's no way at any facet of the game. And so, yeah, that's the mindset. So what are your favorite road cities that you get to play in, in the CFL? Favorite road cities. <sighs> I didn't want to skip any, so I did take notes. I did take notes for the questions. So I'm just going <laughs> to be honest. I just don't want to forget anything. 
uh, Road Cities. You got SAS, um, the crowd and the accommodations, you know. Um, yeah, you're in SAS and it's not, you know, the biggest or the most lit up town. Um, but the accommodations, the hotels that they have you stay at, I, I find it most comfortable there. Um, and probably more most affordable too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For that's probably why they're the nicest ones, you know, when we go to a place like SAS. Um, um, yeah. And the environment, that's great. Ottawa views, history, um, like because we're able to freelance and walk around. They give us a per diem and we, we got to feed ourselves. So we're able to get the culture of the towns, you know, in the place, you know. So walk around Ottawa outside of the hotel, see what's going on. Um, yeah. And also that big hotel that's right outside of the stadium, like that's right next door to the stadium. If I played out of Ottawa, I w- I'm sure a lot of players would want to stay there, you know, playing out. Well, I get to watch, you know, whatever, whatever. Or like if I played, you know, at a place like Ottawa, my family, you know, they don't have to come to the game. They can sit on the balcony and watch the game. <laughs> I don't know. Just those views. That's good. Uh, but Montreal, Montreal, man, that place is culturally filled, you know, um, there's a lot going on there, a lot of mystery there. Um, I wonder what the nightlife is like um, in terms of like, one of my friends said, uh, there's like a door, you just go and knock on a door in the alley and it just ends up being a club, you know, just like, <laughs> just, just fun stuff like that. Um, and Montreal is a cool place because of everybody speaking different language and you have to somehow coexist and find your way around. Just imagine being a player from, I don't know, Mississippi, you know, moving to Montreal and you have to learn how to speak French or, you know, and yeah, everybody, you have to embrace the French culture. Let's just say that. And yeah, everybody, um, like the people that work downtown, they speak they, they dual language, you know, they speak both, but, and they were able to help you navigate. Um, I just remember going to Montreal and opening up the, the menu at a restaurant and everything was in French. And I'm like, Cajun, Cajun. All right, I'm, I'll get the Cajun, whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Montreal's, Montreal's come up a few times when we've talked to people about uh, favorite road cities. It was one of uh, Kelly Bates's as well. Yeah. What, sure. what road city has the best food? I've heard Montreal there too. Best food. I'm not a big, uh, what is that stuff? That meat? What's that kind of meat that they always talk about? Oh, the, the, the Montreal smoked, smoked meat. meat. Yeah. The smoked meat. I'm not a big fan of it. It looks great on paper or uh, in the pictures or whatever. But no, I'm not a big fan of the smoked meat. Um, the best place to eat in Canada. I don't know, man. It's all good, man. I, I, I guess I don't want to say like a commercialized place like, you know, Earl's or, you know, like Keg or, you know, um, but generally I'll go that way <laughs> or I'll go to like a, a bar, you know, have a beer. If it's like SAS or something, I like their little dive bar feels, you know, because there's a lot of love for the sport in there, you know. Absolutely. You might get your yeah. hazing, you know, there's a lot of love for the sport in there. And there's a lot of love in the food, I assume, because it's more divey, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you mentioned some of them already for some of the trash talkers over there, have you ever come up with someone who talked a lot of trash, but just couldn't back it up on the field? Mm. Oof. Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I don't want to. I don't know. Uh, someone that can't back it up. I mean, if they didn't score, if you're talking shit, you know, or any type of trash and you don't score, um, then you're not backing it up, you know. Um, and a lot of the time, so I would say that's 90% of the receivers I go against, you know. Um, you're not really 
going to score. And yeah, I'm human. I may have a bad game or you might double move me in the red zone, you know? Um, but I mean, that's great. Sure. I mean, but I am a next play type guy and I'm not a victim. So I, I will come back at you um, and I will find a way. Uh, but I do find offense alignment. I not, I, they can back it up, but they probably can't because they can't catch me. You know, but they are, <laughs> naturally, they are, they are shit talkers, you know, and uh, they, they know how to get into you because they're, they're, their job is to protect, right? Their job is to protect the quarterback or protect him or protect anybody on the team that's having a confrontation whether it's a receiver or what after the play. And there's a situ- situation in the sport called the pile. You know, there's always a pile yeah. of every play. And you see old linemen talking shit, pushing people over, you know, to get their player, you know. So I have a vendetta with the offensive linemen and the late pushes, you know. So I make sure I keep my pad level low around them because they can't block anything. <laughs> and they will topple over. Who's the, the best player you've ever played with or against in CFL or in football in general? Best player I ever played with. Sheesh. Um, honestly, um, I've learned a lot from a lot of players. And I, I think that <clears throat> I, do, I do a good job of sponging, you know, um, and taking the whatever people have to teach, whether it's a coach or a player, I can take it and find ways to apply it. So I'll be dumb. And I put in the work, so I'm going to say me, honestly. I'm the best player. Um that I know because I'm very innovative and I look for very innovative ways to get off blocks or innovative ways to make a tackle. I want to like reinvent how football's played from the defensive back position because I'm shorter, you know, and I have to find ways, other ways, you know, like to like jump ball. I have to work on my weaknesses, you know, I have to work on those jump ball situations because I know people are going to try me, you know, and so I'm able to work on those, you know, um, getting off blocks where it assumed that a receiver might be stronger you know, but no, I'm gonna come at his ass and I'll throw his ass on the ground, you know, because of the pad level or the mindset or the hard work or whatever it may be. Um, to play against, uh, I will give it um, to Banks. Um, um, one of my friends that I know, Aaron Grimes, uh, I remember he's, he's a great mental guy too. And, and he's my best friend and we played every everything together, football, like every year from seven on up until you know, I just know the mindset and I know if he was on the opposing side and like if it was punt or punt return, which it did happen rookie year, he would do whatever to get to that ball more so than anybody else, you know, just because he has the mindset, the same mindset. He's cut from the same cloth. So he's a very great competitor and he is one of the best trash talkers ever. Yeah, he's very good at talking trash. Um, obviously, you got your Simone Lawrence's out there. Uh, but you also got your players that I want to give a shout out to this guy, Naaman Roosevelt. Um, he doesn't talk a lot of shit, um, but he shows up and he's the most consistent player in terms of technique. You know, um, he's very consistent with his technique and he keeps everything kind of looks the same, you know, and I think that's pretty cool. I, I get to throw a little curveball, but I think you might have actually just answered the question that I was going to ask. Who's a sneaky good receiver that just doesn't get the love that they should? Naming Roosevelt because he doesn't talk a lot of shit, you know, um, and, and, and he's great. And so, like, when you watch film, you know, you're like, oh, this guy, he talks a lot of shit, the receiver right next to Naming Roosevelt, you know. And so you want to study him harder so he doesn't get you, you know what I'm saying? So you might kind of slack on your, your study prep 
as far as naming Roosevelt because you're like, oh yeah, consistent technique. Oh yeah, pad level's low. Oh, he's a good blocker. All right. Now this guy, he talked a lot of shit. So, you know, like, you know, it's just more entertaining to talk about and to focus on so that that never happened, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. But anytime, when it comes to blocking, no receiver can back it up. So that's my biggest trash talk. And I challenge any receiver that really wants to hold me, you know? I mean, because it's, it's, I love it. And I always challenge my defensive bats in the group, you know, and like, Bro, why does he have his hand on you after the play? Why is he even touching you after the play? Like, no, he wins, you know, like <laughs> things like that. And it's just this searching for perfection. You no, know, every play is something bad, you know, that you did. Some you could always be better. There's no such thing as a perfect play, you know. Um, and I've had a lot of good coaches um, that's, that's helped me, that taught me, you know, that life skills through sports, you know, and that, that's, that gives me the edge over a lot of other players. <laughs> We want to kind of open up the, the floor for you now to let people know what TJ Lee's got going on outside of football or anything that you want to kind of promote and uh, show some love towards. Yeah. Um, there's not really much going on, honestly. I mean, I'm not a entrepreneur or, you know, I mean, I'm really just, just a hard worker, you know, that's willing to put whatever um, traits I've learned through sports and life and the, the jobs that I've had to something, to a career outside of, you know, football, you know, because I know I have about three to four years, you know, um, no telling, you know, probably none, you know, if this football situation doesn't get going. So, and, and it sucks for players like me, that's kind of put all their eggs in one basket in terms of football in their career. Um, but Hey, I've never been a victim to any circumstances, but I want to put any traits that I'm willing to learn and any hard work into a job, you know, um, that is, that has to be essential. <laughs> That's essential, um, you know? Um, so, I mean, when I'm done playing, I know football won't be around forever. Um, when I'm done playing, I'm sure I'll be, you know, open for opportunities and I'm sure I could find a place for myself. Um, in terms of kids, um, I'm definitely a mentor in every aspect of life. Um, I go speaking to schools, given any opportunity um, through BC. Um, I coach middle school basketball. I'm looking to coach middle school basketball as well, anywhere, um, given an opportunity. But that's not really, you know, big money in terms of family, but it's very, uh, I, I say, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the pay is priceless, you know, um, in terms of how you influence these kids' lives, you know. Um, what else? Uh, I like houses. Um, so I might get into real estate. I've kind of been looking into that because houses is something that, you know, that's very essential um, and fixing houses. I mean, I've had my own house for a while now and sheesh, so many things that I've learned um, in terms of electrical work, you know, that, you know, I'm not a victim to it. So I'm going to learn on YouTube and I'll figure <laughs> out how to do it or I'll ask a neighbor and he'll teach me. And I'm able to take those traits with me, you know, um, in life, you know, because I have a daughter and I have a son and I either gotta, you know, teach them, you know, give them the roadmap, you know, on how to be successful, you know, in anything you put your mind to. Um, so, I mean, honestly, any opportunity as far as like work comes, uh, I'm just leading with the heart and looking for opportunity to learn something and apply all my traits to it. Um, what else I like to do? I really like to referee. Um, uh, it'd be nice to be a ref on even, uh, you know, just small thing, a high school level. I like staying around the sport, you know, finding ways to stay around the sport, 
yeah, if it's change or whatever, you know, I don't mind. Um, so finding a profession that allows me to do the things I really want to do to make an impact in the world. That's what I'm with. Because, yeah, I kind of um, late to the job force, you know, um, being an athlete, you know. Um, and so that sucks. Uh, but, I mean, when you leave with the heart, I mean, everything else will follow. And I'm a survivalist as well. So I, I do anything to keep a food and a roof over my family's head so i'm not worried at all <laughs> well tj this has been an absolute blast having you on the show uh, you have a your attitude is amazing i love that like i'm gonna go do it because i have to you've been an absolute delight to have on the show and i want to say thank you this this has been amazing you're I, i'm kind of speechless i'm not gonna lie i've i've your attitude is very refreshing and I'm, uh, thank you. That was awesome. No, no, thank you. And honestly, man, it's, it's tough um, to have this attitude. But when, when I hear it from people like you or people in my community, you know, um, and they, they feel it, you know, they feel this attitude and they feel this energy. And it's like, man, that is a strength, you know, um, to have that, you know, alone, that energy and, ability to make anything happen and willingness to do it so i'm thankful for the opportunity thankful for you guys having me and i really had a good time man so anytime you want to have me again or you want to talk about anything else i'm here for you guys awesome absolutely we you know i as well thank you really appreciate you taking the time and you are very welcome to come back and talk football or anything else we definitely had a great time today that's our show for the week again we want to thank tj lee for coming on you can find us on social media. Trevor is at the BleacherCon 1. I'm at the BleacherCon 2. And TJ Lee, where can people find you on social media? I don't even know. The Bleacher Connection podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, at yeah, 3J Lee or something like that, I think it yeah, was. 3J Lee on Twitter. Um, you know, I just come up with these things. Um, uh brother nature on instagram <laughs> no man uh just just look for me online um yeah i'm not big in selling myself if you want to follow me follow me um i do follow everybody that follows me back because uh, there's always something that i can learn from something or someone yeah. oh yeah all right well we definitely appreciate it and wish you all the luck uh once the season gets going hopefully that is soon we can get some news on on when we can start seeing you on the field so again Thanks for coming on this week. Yeah, Have no a good problem. week, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks, TJ.